Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. And to hear from God's word. And so this is something that was common for Jesus to do and that we as his followers continue to do. And so Matthew's painting a picture of that for us. And so he would gather his followers and they'd go up on a hillside or to a suitable gathering place and they'd get away from the crowds and he would teach them. And Matthew likely is recalling pieces of what Jesus' teachings consisted of over and over. Uh, and because what happened, I mean, there's a lot of oral tradition, right? They, there, wasn't, there weren't a lot of books. You couldn't go to the library and, and check it out. You couldn't go down to the you know, local bookstore, although those are kind of going away. So you couldn't go to Amazon and just order a new Bible or go to Bible.com and put it on your phone. You know, you didn't, it wasn't that kind of thing where we have access to the scriptures in ways that they didn't in the, you know, back in biblical times. So there was a lot of oral tradition. And so rabbis or teachers would have disciples. They would have people who followed their teachings. And so they would teach those things over and over and over and over so that their disciples could memorize them. Uh, the idea was, and again, this is a tradition that we still follow, the idea is that we're supposed to be so acquainted with the teachings of our master, so acquainted with the teachings of Jesus, that we become like him, that we embody that teaching. And so this would have been something that Jesus would have done over and over and over and over so that his disciples could memorize those things, so that they became a part of who they were. And so Matthew is painting this picture for us of what Jesus would have done. And so, and so Matthew is showing us the way that Jesus would teach his disciples. And then there's another thing that Matthew is very careful to do all through his gospel. One of the things that Matthew is trying to do is he's, he primarily wrote his gospel initially for a Jewish audience. And so one of the things that the Messiah was supposed to be was kind of a second Moses, right? And one who was greater than Moses, who would fulfill all the promise that kind of had been wrapped up in what Moses had done. And so what Matthew is doing is he is showing his Jewish audience, look, here is the way that Jesus fulfills the, the scriptures. Here is the way that he is the second Moses and the one greater than Moses. And so what the Sermon on the Mount does in a lot of ways is becomes Jesus' giving of the law. Right? So the Beatitudes serve as a kind of Ten Commandments, and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount kind of serves as Jesus' giving of the law. It's a reflection of how Moses is filling up, right? So the idea of fulfilling is there's a cup, right? And so we, Moses showed us a little bit of it, but Jesus is going to fill it the rest of the way up. In fact, Jesus himself says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so this is a picture of that that, that Matthew's painting for us. Jesus filling up the law, fulfilling all the promise of Moses. And so what, what's going to happen is that Matthew's painting this picture. Moses was the great deliverer, right, of God's people in the Old Testament. But Jesus is going to bring an even greater deliverance because what happened was Moses led them out of Egypt, but they found themselves again in slavery over and over and over. And so Jesus is going to bring a deliverance that, that, that no one can take away. He's going to bring a freedom 
and a liberty that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be taken from them, that is not defined by physical circumstance, but rather is something that happens inside of us that sets us at liberty from the things that are oppressing us and the things that are, have us bound and the things that have come against us. And so Jesus is greater than Moses. And Matthew's painting this picture. And it's a beautiful way in which he uses the teachings of Jesus to begin to unfold that. And so this is Jesus' giving of the law. And so what that means for us is that Jesus is setting out the core values of the new covenant. He's setting out for us the core values of a Christian worldview. To put it in simplest of terms, he's describing for us how we ought to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And so these words are of paramount importance for us as believers. Because Jesus is telling us how we ought to live. And so let's jump in to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, and take a look at what Jesus is saying when he talks to us about salt and light. He says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here Jesus sets out for us who we are. Right? He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So this is a picture of who we are and how we are, in, in how we are called to engage culture, to engage the world around us, how we are called to live in light of the world around us. And each of these examples, he's painting a different picture, right? Salt and light. He, and each of these examples gives a different picture or a different nuance of what we are called to be as Christians and who we are called to be as Christians. So let's take a look at each one of those today. And by God's help, it's my prayer that we will become what Jesus has said that we are. So the first thing that Jesus mentions is salt, right? And salt had a ton of uses in ancient culture. Uh, primarily in modern culture, we just use it to season our food, right? We put a little sprinkle of salt on there and, you know, it brings out the flavors. And that's part of what Jesus is, is talking about. It was, it was used in that way in ancient cu cultures as well. But there were tons of uses for salt. Salt was used as a fertilizer. Um, salt was used as an insect repellent. It's an interesting kind of note. They would put salt on their dogs and it keeps fleas and ticks away. I had no idea. Yeah. Any of you grow up with bluegrass music? Just me. All right. Um, I grew up in Arkansas, and so there was bluegrass music. Um, but there, there was a, a blue, an old bluegrass song called Salty Dog. Oh, now. See, now I hear you. Oh, yeah, I know that song. See, you just didn't want to admit that you like bluegrass music. 
Uh, but there was an old song called Salty Dog. I, had, I never had any idea what the song meant as a kid. I loved it. I thought it was cool. Let me be your salty dog, or I won't be your man at all. You, you guys know it at all? Honey, let me be your salty dog. All right, so anyway, I had no idea what that ever meant until actually I was prepping for this sermon, and I was like, oh, it keeps sleezing ticks away. So the idea is if you care about your dog, you'll put salt on them. So he's saying, baby, you know, let me be your salty dog, right? Let me be the one you care about. And that has nothing to do with this sermon. I just thought that was really... Uh, <laughs> I just thought that was, I was like, I had an epiphany. Oh, okay. So, but that was one of the uses of salt back in ancient times, right? Uh, it was used as a preservative. There wasn't refrigeration, so things spoiled a lot more quickly. And so they would put salt on, on all of their meats, right? They would uh, pack fish in salt and they would put, and so um, we don't see that a lot anymore. There are actually a, a couple of places you still see it, like, I never knew why was there salted and unsalted butter. You, you ever, you know, and you're in the store? Well, that's why, because unsalted butter goes rancid faster than salted butter. So they used to salt butter all the time. Uh, and so it still like, creeps in, but we don't, we don't think of it in those terms anymore because we have refrigeration. But it was used as a preservative, and so uh, it was put on all kinds of things. And so there were tons of uses for salt, and Jesus is kind of referring to all of those things when he talks about how we ought to function as believers in culture, right? So, so we should be a seasoning. We should be something that brings out the flavors of life, right? We should be something like our presence in the world should make people well, we sang it just a minute ago, taste and see that God is good. We should bring out the flavors. We should bring out the good things in the world. People should see the way in which we live, and it should give them a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. Um, in Luke chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, Jesus says this. He said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And so what the picture that Jesus is painting there, and of course he's talking about yeast and not salt at that particular point, but he's talking about the idea that you can just put a little bit in and it spreads through the whole thing. Right? You ever notice how it just takes a little bit of salt. You just sprinkle a little bit of salt. Uh, for me, it's green beans. I don't, I don't salt a whole lot of things. But green beans... Put a little bit of salt on some green beans, and then they just pop all of a sudden. They're really bland without salt, but you put the salt on there. Any, anybody else with me? No? Uh, put a little bit of salt on some green beans, and then all of those flavors just pop, and they just come out. And it, it spreads through. The, the, whole, the whole thing is different, right? The whole experience is changed. And that's how we ought to function in the world. That's the way that the kingdom of God is supposed to function in the world, that we are sprinkled like salt throughout our community and throughout our world, and that we bring those flavors to life, and people are able to see what God is like. <laughs> In Galatians 5, 9, Paul refers to this same phenomenon. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So what I want to say to you today is don't ever think that you don't have an impact. Don't ever find yourself guilty of saying, well, I don't know enough about Scripture, or I, I don't have the right words to say, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. Uh, the truth of the matter is none of us can 
in any way do it by ourselves to start with. Right? It's God in us. And when we say, I can't, what we're doing really is diminishing the God who says we can. Another thing about salt in the ancient world is that it was used as currency. Roman soldiers were paid in salt. You ever heard the phrase, he's not worth his salt? That's where that comes from. Roman soldiers were paid in salt. And the reason that they were paid in salt was because salt was such a valuable commodity, right? Because they needed it for everything. Salt is indispensable for human life, even still today. And so, so it has value and it has worth. And one of the things that we ought to be and do as Christians is to bring value. We should bring value to our neighborhoods. We should bring value to our cities. We should bring value to our nation. We should bring value to our world. It is my sincere prayer and my sincere hope that the people of Indiana would, would know that this city would be worse if the summit were not here. Right? I want people to feel like that we are an indispensable part of our city, that we are making our city better, that we bring value here. That there, that do you understand what I'm saying? And for every church, not just for the summit, for every church in our community, that should be how people feel. We should bring value. There should be worth to it. We should be worth our salt. So I want to give you three ways to be salt. Or maybe I should better say it this way. Three ways to engage culture as a Christian. Number one, the first way that we engage culture as Christians is to receive. Some aspects of culture are neutral. And others are in line with the Christian worldview or can be leveraged to bring glory to Jesus. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Technology. Right? We have screens, we have lights, we have amplified you know, sound, all of those things. We use those aspects of technology, we leverage them for the glory of God. Does that make sense? So there are some things that we can simply receive. There are some things that we can go, that's a good thing. And we can use that to bring glory to Jesus. We can use that to communicate the, the message of God more effectively. Uh, for example, some of the first broadcasts ever over radio were, were, were the gospel, right? Because immediately Christians recognize, hey, this is something that we can use to, to declare the glory of God, to preach the gospel. And so what happened was they go, okay, we can't go into that country because it's illegal for Christians to go, but you know what? They can't stop a radio wave. So we'll set up a tower in the next free country and we'll point it into the country where, and that, that's been an effective use of technology and an effective use of, of what's available to us to preach the gospel for a, for a long time. And it's, we've seen it change nations. It's amazing. We can use technology and leverage it for the gospel. <coughs> Sometimes we've done really well at that, like with radio. Uh, other times we've not done so well. For example, Thomas Edison, who invented the movie camera, um, offered to give the patent for the movie camera to his church. And they said no. Um, so, you know, we miss the boat sometimes, right? I can't imagine going, nah, well, I don't think we'd need that. Um, the, the printing press is another great one, right? Uh, one of the, some of the first things that were ever printed were Bibles. 
Uh, and, and this is a little different. So we talked about technology, and we've seen how we've used technology. Another thing is maybe with charitable organizations, right? So, so there are sometimes like technology is neutral, and then there are other things where we go, you know what, that's in line with what God's doing in the world. That's in line with a Christian worldview. So like organizations that, uh, that get clean drinking water to people who need it, or feed the hungry, or house the homeless, those are things that we can say, you know what, you may not be a church organization, you may not be a Christian organization, but what you are doing lines up with what I believe Jesus' mission in the world is. And so I'm going to partner with you to accomplish that. And so then we're able to stand side by side with people who may not believe what we do, but we're able to stand side by side and be unified with them in a common cause. And that opens a doorway then for us to communicate the gospel to them as well and say, you know what, I don't know what, what made you care about clean drinking water, for example, but let me tell you let me tell you what made me be here. Let me tell you what about my story. Let me tell you what I believe and why this is important. And it opens doorways for us to communicate the gospel. So there's some things that we receive. We go, yes, I agree with that. I'm going to get on board with that because Jesus is in line with that. And I want to be wherever I can find that Jesus is working. Whether it's inside the church or outside the church, I want to be doing the work of God. I want to be salt and light in the earth. And so if you are doing that, I believe that's a good thing. I'm right here with you. That's how we can operate as salt in, in the world. Some things we receive. So, so we receive. The second thing we do is reject. Some aspects of culture are simply opposed to a Christian worldview. Uh, for example, there is no such thing as Christian drunkenness. Right? Uh, there's no such thing as... Christian adultery, right? So there's some things that we go, no, we, I reject that. We just reject that view out of hand. That's, a, that's not in line with what Jesus says life ought to be, how Jesus says we ought to live, and so we say no to that, right? So uh, there's no such thing as, so we reject those things that are opposed to Christ, Uh for example, we reject the world's view of sexuality. And that's, that's, that's a really, actually a really broad thing. We get really specific about it sometimes, and we, we rant and rave about certain particular things. But the, the reality is that our world as a whole has a skewed view of sexuality. And the truth of the matter is, it's crept its way into the church. Because we have a culture who... The overarching thing is, like, we, ha we have this belief that I have to be involved in a sexual relationship to be fulfilled, to be happy, right? Which is why you have some groups clamoring to say, hey, we ought to have the right to be married. You have others who say, I ought... On the other side of the fence, right? Then we don't talk about this one so much, but on the other side of the fence, it's, I have a right to marry as... Over and over and over again, right? Until I find happiness. 
And it's a skewed view of sexuality because what it's saying is, I must have that to be complete. I must have that to be full. I must have that to be whole. And what scripture says to us is, you must have Jesus to be fulfilled. You must have Jesus to be whole. You must have Jesus. You know, that's, and so we, again, we diminish God and we, we, they elevate sexuality to a point that it was never intended to be. Now, God intends for us to enjoy sex. God intends for us to express sex healthily in a married relationship, but we have a world that is skewed in its view. And as I said, it creeps into the church and then we, we end up with this misunderstanding of how things ought to be. And, you know, we, we get to this place where we go, I have a, a right to be happy. And you know, what if marriage is not about making you happy? And that's not to say that you shouldn't be happy with the person that you're with. But what if marriage is about making you holy? Guess what? More often than not, the things that make me more holy are the things that get under my skin. And here's just a side note here. Overwhelmingly, when they poll couples who were near divorce and decided to stick together, over, the overwhelming majority three years later say that they are so glad that they did. So if you're going through a, a rough patch in your relationship, if you're going through a rough patch in your marriage, perhaps this is God working in you to make you more holy. And if you will hold on and if you will work diligently at what's there, if you will be as faithful to your spouse as God has been to you, I promise you, you will find yourself on the other side of that looking back and going, I am so glad that I am here today. Because maybe it's not about making you happy. Maybe it's about making you holy. That was a little bit of a tangent. but So some things we receive, some things we reject, and some things we redeem. Some aspects of culture we redeem for the glory of God. I'll give you an example. Right? Uh, there was a time when having a set of those... like. For those of you online, you can't see. It's the drums. Um, yeah, all the drummers said, yes! Uh, but there was a time when having a set of those in a church was considered an evil thing, right? Like the, the, those evil drums, you know, that you'd make you want to dance, you know. And, uh, but they were viewed as evil. But the, the truth of the matter is, they, drums can be used for evil or for good, right? I mean, you know, they, they just... It doesn't matter, right? Uh, they just make noise. Uh, and so, but they can be redeemed. They can be used for the glory of God. And so, you know, and that's just a, that's kind of a silly example. But there are there are things in culture that we need to redeem. Again, we we reject the world's view of sexuality. But we want to redeem that view and celebrate God's view of sexuality so that we can redeem the mind of culture. If we are supposed to function as a preservative, like if we're supposed to be salt, if we're supposed to be preserving our culture, well, one of the ways that we do that is by redeeming what's been lost, by redeeming what is what is misunderstood in culture. So, so we redeem those views of sexuality. We redeem uh, those things that have been lost. We redeem culture in those regards. We take those things and we, we repurpose them, as it were, for the glory of God. Or actually, we take them back to their original purpose, the thing for which God created them. There's been 
a real kind of uh, antagonistic relationship between the church and the art community for, you know, it's interesting because you go into the dark, right? You go through the Renaissance and the church is the greatest proponent and the greatest benefactor of the arts in the world, right? They're supporting the arts. They're supporting playwrights and, uh, and painters and musicians. And all these things are supported by the church. They're, they're, you know, and so, but you go into the dark ages and you come out of the dark ages and, and then all of a sudden there's this antagonistic relationship between the church and art. And it's kind of continued up until modern times, right? The, 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 the thing about that is, art is supposed to be, at least, about creating beauty. What is more beautiful than the gospel? What's more beautiful than Jesus? We should be celebrating those things. So we need to be redeeming those things. We need to re- is this tracking with anybody? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So the, ways in which, the way that we can function as Salt in the earth. Receive, reject, and redeem. It's how we engage culture. So I want to challenge you to think in those terms. To be purposeful in, in your relationships, in the way that you engage the world around you. Say, God, is this something I should receive? Is this something I should reject? Is this something that needs to be redeemed for your glory? And be mindful of the way that we engage culture. So that's how we can function as salt. And then real quickly, let's talk about light for just a minute. What does light do? Light reveals. Light exposes darkness and reveals things for what they are. I love this quote by Timothy Keller. He said this. He said, if you are light, that means your life should be so beautiful that when it comes into contact with other parts of the environment, the beauty of your life shows up other things for what they really are. So, you ever put on your socks in the dark? Right? You you put on your socks in the dark and you could swear that they're both black. And then later, when you get into the light, you you realize one's blue and one's black. It's because the light reveals things for what they really are. Right? And that's how we should function in the world. We should reveal things for what they really are. The truth of something shows up in the light. Can Can I say this to you this morning? Our job as Christians is not to point out the darkness. It is to reveal the light. And those are different things. It's a fundamentally different approach. What we are guilty of often is trying to point out the darkness. When what we are called to do in the public arena is to reveal the glory of God, to reveal the light of Jesus, to exalt Jesus. Because here's the thing, when you turn the lights on, people see things for what they really are. We don't have to get up and, and, and go line item and read about everybody's dirty laundry and give a grocery list of all the don'ts, 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 don'ts. That there's a time that we discuss those things within the body, but what we do in the public arena is declare the glory of Jesus. And then those who are in darkness, the word of God says, will see a great light. 
I am, I am so thankful for Christians who are in the public arena and who are in the political arena. But I am disappointed often at the way that we engage in that endeavor. Because we point out darkness. We just want to sling mud at whichever side you're on. And by the way, there are Christ-loving, sincere, born-again people on both sides of the political aisle. But no one wants, no one wants to see that anymore. We don't, because we're not functioning as light. That's the problem. We're trying, to expose, we're trying to point out darkness rather than to reveal light. We need to be revealing the light. Let the colors be seen for what they are. The truth of something shows up in the light. Our, our job is not to point out all the darkness, it's to reveal the light. We aren't called to rail about all that is wrong in the world. Our calling is to declare the glory of Jesus. Um, again, going back to what Timothy Keller said, if our lives should be so beautiful that it, when it comes in contact with other parts of the environment, the beauty of your life shows up those things for what they are. So just by virtue of who we are as Christians, if I go into the workplace, the dishonesty there should be exposed. Not because I'm pointing it out, but because, because my honesty, because my integrity reveals that there's not integrity in other areas, right? If you know, the beauty of our family relationships, the beauty of our relationships as husband and wife should reveal the darkness in others, right? I, I, can I tell you, and I, I'm not trying to say this to brag on my wife, but my wife is amazing at this. She just is. It's one of her giftings. She has a unique ability to just be who she is And make everyone around her feel comfortable. Never have to like point a finger at what she feels like is going on in their life. And almost without fail, about 10 minutes into a conversation, they are pouring those things out on her. They just, just, and then she's able to leverage those things and bring them closer to who Jesus is. There's some of you who are here this morning because of my wife's influence on you. And that's how we ought to operate. That's, that's what light does. It just People should see our lives and go, I, I need to be where they are. I need to know what they know. How many of you before you came to Jesus, you, you knew you needed something different. Anybody? And what happened was that there was somebody who came into your world and they were salt and light. And it revealed all the darkness that was there. And you saw the beauty of what was happening in their life. You saw the beauty of who Jesus was and you said, I've got to have that. The way that we react to pressure, the way that we handle criticism, the way that we treat people, if we are like Jesus, it will reveal the reality of the environment around us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Worship team, you can come on up. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the, among the Gentiles honorable, 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So it, it seems like what Peter is saying here is that even when they talk bad about you, right? And he says, you know, he says, keep your conduct honorable. And even when they talk bad about you, they're going to have to glorify God. They're going to have to see, right? Uh, this quote from Ralph Waldo, well, I can't, wow, all of a sudden I'm stuttering. Uh, this quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, I love this. He said this, he said, what you do speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. My fear is that that has often been true of us as God's people. That what we do speaks so loudly that people can't hear what we say. And those things need to work in concert with one another so that we might be salt and we might be light in the world. So we receive, reject, redeem, and reveal. That's our calling. That's how we engage culture. That's what it means to be salt and light in the world. Can you bow your heads with me this morning? Let's pray. God, I pray this morning that we would be what you have said that we are. God, I'm struck by the fact that in these scriptures, you didn't say you will be the salt of the earth or you will be the light of the world. You said you are. You've declared that about us, that this is who we are. So I pray, God, that we would fully live out <coughs> that calling and that mandate. God, that we would engage with the culture around us in ways that are redeeming, in ways that bring honor and glory to you, in ways, Lord Jesus, that reveal the beauty of who you are. That all of the colors might be seen. That people might taste and see that you're good. I thank you, God, for all that you have already been doing in us and among us. It is our prayer today, God, that that would continue, that we might become more like you. That we might be salt and light, that we might add value to our city, to our world. And that we might shine your light, that we might glorify you. Everyone, please just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You know, for all of us, and I mentioned this a minute ago, for all of us, we can look back and we can say, I am walking with Jesus today because someone was salt and light in my life. Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. You're not a Christian. You're not in a relationship with God. But somebody has been salt and light to you, and that's why you're here right now. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it was a parent when you were a kid or a Sunday school teacher, or maybe it's a, a friend. Who knows? 
but someone has been salt and light in your world. Someone has shined a light into your life and the darkness has been revealed and you're here this morning and you are here because you know that there needs to be something different in your life. Somebody's been like salt to you and they've helped you to taste and see that things can be different than what they are. And they've preserved you in a sense. They've added value to your life. You've tasted something good and you know that today you need God. You need God to open your eyes so that you can see all the colors of his beauty. You need him to transform you. You need him to make you new. If that's you today, would you please just raise your hand and let me see who you are. I'm not gonna call you to the front or do anything to embarrass you, but you say, Todd, I need Jesus today. Somebody's been salt, somebody's been light in my life, and I know that things need to be different, and I'm I'm here today. Could you just raise your hand and let me see where you are so I can pray with you? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I want to ask everyone to pray this prayer. Uh, pray this prayer with me. Pray this prayer with those who've raised their hand. Um, God, thank you for sending someone to be salt and light in my life. Thank you, God, that today I see my need for you. I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I give you control of my life. Thank you for opening my eyes. Help me to live the rest of my life from today on for your glory. I surrender everything to you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for bringing me here today and for reminding me that you care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, in just a second, we're going to sing one last song uh, together and the the prayer team is going to come. They're going to be available uh, if, if you prayed that prayer, if you raised your hand and prayed that prayer today, come see a member of our prayer team. Let them, let them pray with you. Let us, we'd love to be able to help you on your journey, your next steps with Jesus. Um, and then if you have a prayer need today, the prayer team is going to be available to pray with you. Um, my, last, my last question for you, my last challenge today, you know, in the scriptures that we read, Jesus said that you don't put a lamp under a table. You don't hide it. Or he said, if the salt loses its flavor, what good is it? And so my question and my challenge for us as believers today is this. My question is, are you operating as salt and light in the world? Are you receiving, rejecting, redeeming, and revealing in culture? That's our, that's our calling. That's our challenge. So let me pray for us one more time. Stand. We're going to worship again together. God, it is my prayer today and it is my hope that you 
by your grace and by your mercy and by your power, enable us to live as we ought to within our culture. God, we do these things not as a means of earning or gaining your love, but we do them because your love has been poured out on us and we want others to see that beauty. We want others to taste and see that you are good. So God, help us to be salt and light. Help us, Lord Jesus, to engage culture in ways that are redemptive, to engage the world in ways that reveal who you are, that show your beauty. God, I pray that when we go into our workplaces and when we engage with our friends and when we engage with the world around us, that simply by virtue of who we are and what you are doing in us, it would reveal the darkness and the ugliness around us and that people would be drawn to the beauty of who you are, not because we have uh, railed against the darkness in their lives, but because they have seen the glory and the beauty of God in ours. Your word says that it is your kindness that draws us to repentance. And so God, I pray that we would live out of that kindness, that we would engage with other people out of that kindness, that we would give out of that kindness, that we would speak out of that kindness. And God, that people would be drawn to you because they see you in us. That's our prayer. And God, we pray that by your mighty power, you would enable us to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.